You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Amen. Good morning. Good to see so many of your faces this morning. Like Joe said, if you're a college student, welcome back. If you've been with us or if it's your first time here or if it's just your first time here at all, uh, thank you for coming, believing the Lord wants to touch your life today. Um, as you can tell, we're passionate about worship in this place. We love to worship King Jesus. And there are those times where we get to experience a glimpse of eternity. You know, for eternity, you're going to be worshiping Jesus. That's great. So we learn, we're learning to sing now. Because one day we're going to be with him and we're going to see him. We're going to see him face to face and you're just going to want to fall down. You're going to be rewarded for things that happen or that, that, that you do for the Lord here. But I believe it's just so that you can have something to lay at the feet of Jesus when you get to heaven. There will be some of us that have gotten into heaven but won't have very much rewards. We'll be, we'll be running around just trying to find something to lay at the feet of Jesus. And so what I, I say right now is that there's those moments that we have when we gather where, or when you're alone with him, where he gives us those glimpses and we just simply say, thank you, Jesus, like Scott was singing, thank you, Jesus. That is a timeless and endless song. If you ever are out of, can't think of something to sing about, pray about, just begin to thank him. Thank you, Jesus. There's a lot that you can be thankful for, isn't there? That's not what I'm gonna share with you today. It just felt stirred in my heart. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here, if I've not met you. Um, we're in our last week. We've been in this for what feels like an eternity, this series over the summer awakening. And it's our last week. Pastor Drew will be back next week. And everyone said hallelujah, right? Yeah, we're excited for that. And, um, but thank you for staying, sticking with me this summer. And the Lord's really done some incredible things this summer. So thank you um, for, for coming along on that. But if you're, if you're new to this series, we're, we've been in this all summer where we believe that every single generation needs an encounter with Jesus. Otherwise, we just find ourselves in the place of useless traditions. We find ourselves in the place of religion, just going through the motions. And we, offer one, we often wonder how great moves of God can turn into just religious stagnancy. Well, the great late Reinhard Bonnke had something to say about it in his autobiography, A Life of Fire. If you're needing a book to read, that is one that every Christian should read. The Life of Fire, the autobiography of the evangelist Reinhard Bonnke, an incredible man of God who went to be with the Lord recently. He said this, he said, the mystery to me is how the life-giving message of Jesus can become dead. How a fresh move of God can become stale, but it happens. The first step, I think, is when methods are enshrined and any new wind of the Spirit is resisted. Old ways are repeated without inspiration. We've forgotten that the Lord seeks a living and growing relationship and he resists being entombed in a method, building, or an organization. This isn't by no means saying because we've done something a long time or, we've done, or, or something is an old way, that means that it's wrong. 
We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. However, the Lord is seeking intimacy with you. He's calling you into the depths of fellowship with him. And every single one of us, the Lord has given that invitation of simply come. See for yourself. Come and see. Come and know. And we do, and we enter into that place, and we enter that place of relationship with King Jesus, and then we go on an adventure with him. You've heard me say this before, but if Christianity is boring, then you're doing it wrong. Because every single day you wake up and you say, Holy Spirit, what is it that you have for my life today? What do you want to do in me and through me? You know, when you give your heart to Jesus, he begins to redefine what is normal for you. You know, I was an addict. I was an alcoholic before I knew the Lord. Here was everything that I was doing. This is everything that was normal to me. Here's my normal thinking pattern, my, think, my, my normal um, ways of life. And all of a sudden, Jesus just flips my whole world upside down. And he begins to redefine now what is normal. What is a normal way in which I speak about what I think, about how I step out in faith? And he begins to redefine what is normal. But the thing about that word normal is what is normal is all about context. Something might seem completely normal to you, and it would seem very weird to someone else. I could come to your house and see the way that you wash the dishes or load the dishwasher. My Lord. And we'd say, that is weird. That is not normal. You shouldn't do it like that. Normal is all about context, isn't it? So what many ways what we've come to know as normal in the kingdom of God is not normal to him. I have a friend in Alaska who met a man recently who had, was a drug addict and a drug dealer and found himself in prison. And when he was in prison, he gave his life to Jesus. And his life was radically changed. And he began to read the book of Acts and the New Testament, and he thought, I've, I cannot wait to get out of prison and go to a church and meet these Christians. These are going to be radical, Jesus-loving, fire-starting followers of Jesus. And he got out the first Sunday. He went to just a normal, average church, and he walked in, and he said, what is this? This is not like anything that I've read about. These people are not like the people that I've read about in the book of Acts. So where is the lack? Is the lack in our understanding of what God says is normal? Or is the lack here in scripture or with the Lord? Well, I can tell you it is not the latter. And oftentimes we see this great disparity between what we've experienced and what God defines as normal. And I want to encourage you this morning that if we see that disparity, the problem isn't with him. It's with us. That our understanding is twisted. That we're not seeing things. We don't have the proper perspective. And that God is saying, let me show you how things ought to be. Even though maybe right now they might not look like that. Let me show you how they should be, how I want them to be. 
So I want to ask you this question, and I want you to write it down. I want you to think about it this week as you go about your life. I want you to think about this question. Is how I'm living my life right now possible without the Holy Spirit? Is how I'm living right now possible without the Holy Spirit? You see, the Lord has called you into a life of the impossible. And so if we're living lives that are playing it safe, where we're stuck on the shoreline looking out, or we've grown weary or we've, seen, we've gotten hurt or whatever it is, but our prayers have gotten smaller, our faith has decreased, and we've lived a life in the possible rather than the impossible. So this morning I want to talk about the Jesus Church. The Jesus Church, he's calling you to live radically for him. I love our country and I love um, the things that we stand for, but I want you to know the, the American dream and the gospel are not compatible. The Lord wants you to live for him and nothing else, and then everything else flows out of that. Everything that flows out of our pursuit with King Jesus. Your happiness and pursuit of it comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from pursuing happiness in your dreams. It comes from pursuing this one, Jesus, who in him all things were made and all things were created and, by, and nothing was made without him but Jesus. And so what does this Jesus church look like? Well, there's many attributes, but if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 9. What the, the Jesus church, the normal Christian life should look like. Acts chapter 9, we see Saul, who is persecuting the Christians, have a run-in with King Jesus. And this is the encounter that I pray for for every single one of us, that we would meet this one Jesus, the King of glory, and that he would radically transform and disrupt our lives. Saul's conversion to Paul is one of the greatest indicators of the authenticity of this gospel because he was a murderer, one who uh, was persecuting followers of the way. And he comes to know Jesus by an encounter. And then he goes into a place where he's being taught. And then in verse 32, we have this story of Peter. So I want you to know this is about seven years after the day of Pentecost. So what has become, what has been deemed normal in the Christian, uh, in Christianity, in the, in the early church has been firmly established now. It's been seven years, so it's not just some flash in the pan. It's not just some roller coaster experience. They didn't go to a conference, get all hyped up, and then cool off after a couple weeks. This is what the normal Christian life is. You see it in Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray, and they meet the man at the gate who's been lame. That that, That portion of Scripture says one day. It doesn't say one day unlike any other day, one very special supernatural day. It just says one day. This is what became normal to them. And Jesus modeled the life that you and I were meant to live, and we watched the apostles walk out in that same life in the greater things, and he's called each one of us to that as well. So now we see Peter. There's been persecution that has broken out, and now we see Peter kind of wandering the countryside, And it's sort of this intentional wandering, if that makes sense. 
In verse 32, it says, And Peter traveled about the country. He went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. And immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. That is always the result of the Lord moving. The Lord heals you because he loves you, but he also has greater things in mind. He wants the testimony of whatever that experience was to turn many people to him. So here we see Peter. It says he's traveling the country. It says the Lord's people who lived in Lydda, and there he found a man. So the first thing, what is the Jesus church like? The Jesus church is about the Father's business. That word found in verse 33, the, the Greek word is hierosko. And it's, a, has a, a, it's found throughout the Gospels, and it really has a beautiful definition. It means to, like, come upon something, to find something, but it wasn't like you were searching out for that specific and particular thing. It, it, it alludes to, like, an awareness, like to your eyes being opened to the world around you and taking up the opportunity that you have in front of you. It's like if you're walking down the sidewalk and in front of you you see a $100 bill. And you see this $100 bill, not because you were out looking for a $100 bill, but because you were aware of your surroundings. You weren't distracted by your phone and almost getting hit by a car while you were crossing the street, students. You weren't, you weren't, you know, had your head in the clouds thinking about other things. You were aware of your surroundings and you saw this $100 and you reached down and picked it up. So Peter was about the Father's business. That's what we saw Jesus do, right? He says he only saw and did what he saw the Father doing. He was keenly aware of what the Holy Spirit was doing at every moment and open and receptive to what God wanted to do. And so the same is true for Peter. He was about the Father's business. And he found this man. He came upon this man who'd been paralyzed for eight years. We don't really know why he was bedridden for eight years, but he was unable to walk. But listen, if we're going to be about his business, that means we have to be people of worship and people of prayer. People who are aware of, throughout the day, have a consciousness of what God is doing and saying. That we live our lives a little slower. It means that we're willing to be inconvenienced or uncomfortable. It means that we give up our excuses. Lord, I'm, I'm just really late. It's not a good time. Lord, I'm a little busy right now. Sometimes we have selective hearing with the Lord. We keep walking. Parents know what that is, right? Selective hearing. But it comes to this place of laying down even our greatest excuses and saying, Lord, I want to be about what you are about. And right now, every single one of us in our lives, the Lord has set in front of us divine appointments. That if we would just open our eyes, we would get to be a part of what God has been orchestrating for a long time. 
And what an adventure it is for us to be used of God in those ways. To say, we woke up, we were just traveling the countryside, and we came upon someone who that day was their day to meet Christ. And that is fun, and that never gets old. And the moment that does get old, we need to give our, give our hearts back to Jesus. So Peter comes upon this man, and then he says, Aeneas, he doesn't say, I heal you now. By the power of Peter, I heal you. Everything that is within Peter, I heal you. What does he say? He doesn't even mention himself. He says, Jesus Christ heals you. And then what happens? Immediately, he gets up. The G- a Jesus church is dependent on the Holy Spirit. Jesus is calling you into greater childlikeness to believe him. He's calling you to dream bigger dreams. He's calling you to say, Lord, I know what I'm seeing now is just scratching the surface of what you want to do on my campus or at my job or in my neighborhood. But listen, fear comes when we depend on ourselves for results. And I want you to know that that's a valid fear. If we're depending on ourselves for results, we should be fearful. Because I cannot heal anyone, nor can you. I cannot restore a life or save a person. If I'm a part of someone giving their lives to Jesus, I simply grab them by the hand and take them to the one. When I'm praying for someone for healing, it's simply Jesus coming down and healing and, and healing that body. A.W. Tozer says this. He says, whoever defends himself will have himself for a defense, and he will have no other But let him come defenseless before the Lord, and he will have for his defense no less than God himself. When Christ is our sufficiency, anything is possible. And then we find ourselves in this place of childlike faith that anything is possible. My daughter, I I just love to watch her. She's got such faith, and she's prayed for many people, and they've been healed. And um, my wife wears glasses, and one day my wife decided to wear contacts. And so she took her glasses off and was wearing contacts, and my wife walked downstairs, and, and Evie saw her and said, Mom, Jesus healed your, your eyes. And she goes, oh, honey, I'm, just, I'm wearing my contacts. But I, I love that. I just, I just so love that, that her, her first inkling would have been that Jesus healed her eyes. Oh, that that would be our hearts. That childlikeness, that dependency on King Jesus that says, only you, Lord. This past year, a young woman came wanting prayer, saying, I've had these migraines that for, for, for the last two years, and, and I suffer from depression, and I just want the Lord to heal me. Would you pray for me? And so... I remember praying for her, and I pray the same. I, I, in this, in my, just internally, in my own mind, in my own heart, I say, I tell the Lord, Lord, what do you want to? What do you want to do? What do you want to say right now? I don't try to come up with my own ways of how can I just make her feel a little better right now in this moment. How can I bring the attention to me? But how can I give this young lady an opportunity to meet Jesus right now?
How can I help? And so I closed my eyes and I saw this vivid picture and I told her, this young woman, Sarah, I said, I see this picture of a submarine. This might sound strange. I see this picture of a submarine and this submarine goes down deep, deep down under the surface to the depths. And as it goes down deeper, you look out the windows and you can't see anything because it's so dark and the pressure is so great down there. It's so great. But then I see this submarine come back to the surface slowly and it gets to the surface and the hatch pops open and the pressure is released and you can see the open sky. You can see the sun. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for a release of that pressure. And I, I was alarmed because I saw her, I opened my eyes and I saw this look of utter terror in her eyes as she fell to the ground, shaking under the power of God. You know, in the Bible, when people meet angels, they're terrified, you know? It's like when you see Jesus, when you have a real encounter, it's kind of scary. And she fell to the ground and started to just sob uncontrollably. And my wife was there, and I looked and gave her the eyes, like, you need to come over here now. And she came over, we began to minister, and this, woman, this young woman's sobs then turned to laughter. Later, I asked her, what happened? She said, the moment we said release the pressure in, G- in Jesus' name, she said, I just felt, I felt this, like, rush, this relief like leave my body. The migraine left immediately and she said, I felt the joy of the Lord and it was terrifying. (laughs) And she's been free from those migraines and from depression ever since. (laughs) What would happen if there was a, a group of people that were completely dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit? What would happen if we left this place this morning A hundred some people left this place dependent on the Holy Spirit. Neighborhoods would be changed. Your workplace would look differently. You'd get called down to the the principal's office at work saying you gotta stop praying for people. People too many people are getting healed. So then we we continue in reading verse 36 about Peter's travels. And it kind of has a snowballing effect, which is in many ways how the Lord works. In verse 36, it says, In Joppa, which is a nearby town, there was a disciple named Tabitha, meaning she was a, one, a follower of Jesus. In, in Greek, her name was Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went to them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. And Peter sent them out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. 
And she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her, her feet. And then he called for the, believer, for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Again, we've seen the same result. A miracle happens. This woman who is dead has an encounter with Jesus, and what happens? Many people hear about it and come to know Jesus. God has greater plans than just our little life. He wants to use your life to accomplish great things. And that has nothing to do with a microphone and being on a stage and people knowing who you are. But a humble and lowly one who would say, Jesus, what will you do with my life? So the Jesus Church is about the Father's business. They're dependent on the Holy Spirit, and they are faith-filled. There's something within all of us that knows we were made for more. Isn't there? There's something, there's part of you that calls out to something. I think that's why in the, in the last number of years there's been such a, a propensity towards superhero movies. Because there's something within each one of us that's like, that knows we were made for something more. So we have this interesting situation. We have this woman with an unfortunate name, and she dies unexpectedly. Uh, she's a woman of influence and affluence, and she dies. And so Peter comes, and I think it's interesting what Peter does. Again, it's not all about him. He's not coming in saying, here I am, you lucky people. Aren't you so glad that I'm here? Instead, Peter sends them all out of the room. Apparently, people sobbing and weeping is not good for building faith. But it says this, then he, he got down on his knees and, and prayed. If you want your faith to increase, you've got to be with the one. If you want to know what he's thinking, you have to hear his voice in the quiet place so that in the public place you know what it sounds like. And it's in that place in a relationship with him that your faith is increased. Your ability to believe him for the impossible. Your ability to see him clearer and know what he's capable of. When our faith is small, we really doubt that God wants to or can heal. I don't think we say it out loud, but that's what our actions say. Because faith comes to this crossroads point where faith has to be demonstrated Faith has to be demonstrated through obedience or action. There comes a point where it has to be more than just this internal thing, and it comes to a place that it fleshes out in the things that we do. What does James say? He says, faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. That's a harsh statement. I know James didn't really mince words, but faith without works is dead. There's a place in all of us where we have to recognize that wherever we go, God can use us to see people's lives be made whole. And I don't know about you, but I want that. I want that. I want that. So Peter gets down on his knees, and it doesn't, even, it doesn't tell us how long. 
But I, and I don't know what he was thinking, what he was feeling that moment. It doesn't tell us. But I can tell you there's been times, and maybe you have as well, where you've gone into a hospital room of a loved one. And I can tell you that there's times where I've been in the car, faith-filled, ready to go in and pray, and I walk in that room, and you see the tubes and the machines. You see the, the family members weeping, and it is not a faith-filled environment. It's difficult. So Peter says, everyone, I need... I know you really care for her. And, he, and there's almost, you can hear this, this mercy that Peter's having for these widows who deeply love this woman who's helped them. But he sends them all out, and what does he do? He gets it with the Father. He gets down on his knees, he humbles himself before the Lord, and he prays and seeks the Lord. We don't know how long that is. But it isn't until he's full of faith that he turns to Tabitha, and he says, Tabitha, get up. And she does. There's something within each one of us that knows we're called to more. Worship team, you can come. I want to ask you that question again. Is how you're living your life right now possible without the Holy Spirit? Or are we just playing safe? Are we just going through the motions? Could it be that God placed you in whatever place you're at, the house that you live in, the apartment that you live in, the class that you sit, for a specific reason, more than just having a place to live or a job, more than just getting a degree that maybe God has placed you there for a specific purpose? That in fact, he's been lining up for quite some time. There was a time that Kayla, my wife and I, we lived in this little townhome and there was like a row of four of them. And <clears throat> at that time we had a dog and every day I would come home from work and I would take our dog, his name was Kevin. We'd take our dog Kevin out. I'm sorry if your name's Kevin. It's a great human name and a f funny dog name. So, But I would take Kevin out when I get home from work and one day, I came home from work and I noticed there was a moving truck there and there were, uh, some new people were moving in two doors down from us. And they were busy. I didn't, didn't say anything. Went, uh, uh, went about my, my business. And a lot of times, I would make it home from work before my wife. She was working at the university at that time. And I would make it home before her and so I would have an extra half an hour where I could take a nap. And so that's what I would do, and I would look forward to that now. And um, so the next day, I remember coming, or maybe it was a couple days later, coming home, I'm going to take Kevin out, and I'm going to take a nap. And I see, sitting outside on the, on the patio, this elderly man. And when I walked to my house, he didn't look up at me or anything like that. And I, I went to, I took Kevin out, and I, I went to go to the door and go inside and the Lord says, you need to go talk to that man. And I said, Lord, I want to take a nap. And God, I deserve to take a nap. I've worked hard. All, I listen to people's problems all day. Lord, can I just take a nap? And I want you to know as soon as you start saying you deserve or you're entitled to something, you got to watch out. Lord said, I want you to talk to that man. And I looked over and <laughs> there are some people you look at and they're just like, 
what's up? Like smile in the face. This guy was not like that. He was a, had a permanent kind of grumpy face. And so I walked over and I said, hey, neighbor, I'm your new neighbor. My name's Tony. I just wanted to introduce myself. He said, oh, hi, I'm Wayne. And I just began to ask him questions about himself. Turned out that he and his wife had recently retired. He'd been a trucker, traveled all over the world or all over the nation. And he asked me what I did for a living. And uh, I told him, oh, I'm, I'm a pastor at this church over here. And he goes, oh, pastor, you're one of those pastors. Huh? All they want is your money. He's like, that's a joke. And so I said, well, you don't know me very well, but I'm looking forward to getting to know you. And uh, I went out and took a nap. And day after day, I would come home from work and I would go to let our dog out. And it turns out that Wayne didn't like a lot of things, but he did like my dog. <laughs> and so I would take Kevin over there and uh, he would just light up when he'd see my dog. And so, and I would just sit down and I would just talk to him. And we would just talk day after day after day. And he would begin to open up over time. I told him my testimony that I grew up in a broken home and went after all these empty things and Jesus saved my life. And he began to tell me that he's not been a good father to his children, that his children won't even talk to him. Outside of his wife, he's really alone in this world. We continued to, this friendship over the coming months. One day I came home and he wasn't outside. And I thought, hmm, that's strange. He's always home. And the next day I... Um, saw him outside again. I went and talked to him. I said, Wayne, where, where were you yesterday? I missed you. And he said, oh, I was, had to, I was in the hospital. I've been, for, since I smoked for so many years, I have lung issues and had to be hospitalized because I wasn't getting enough oxygen. And he was very shook up and very scared. And I said, Wayne, you know, we've known each other for long enough now where, you know, I'm not trying to sell you anything. You don't know, I don't want anything from you. I said, but I've seen Jesus heal people. I told him a few testimonies. And I said, I think if you, if you let me pray for you now, I believe that Jesus can heal you. And he, he looked around. He said, right here? <laughs> I said, yeah, right here. And so he was like, oh, all right. And so I want you to know that you can pray with people and you don't have to yell at the top of your lungs. You don't have to embarrass them. You don't have to change the tone of your voice. You don't have to get weird. Just love them. And I, I began to pray. I said, Jesus, thank you for Wayne. Thank you for his life. And right now in the name of Jesus, I pray you heal his lungs. Heal him right now in Jesus' name. And I opened my eyes and he was looking at me and he goes, what was that? And I said, why, what happened? He's like, I felt something go throughout my whole body. He goes, what was that? And I said, that was the Holy Spirit. He's giving you a glimpse of himself and showing you that he loves you. Well, see you later. And I, I went home and I took a nap. 
Well, that was a Friday. I, I didn't see Wayne again until Monday. But when I saw, when I came home on Monday from work, Wayne was just pacing back and forth on his, on his patio. And as soon as he saw me, he goes, Tony, Tony, he comes, comes running up to me, Tony, 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 you'll never guess what happened. I said, what happened, Wayne? He goes, do you remember last week when you, when you prayed for me? I said, yeah, I remember, Wayne. He goes, well, ever since then, I've been able to breathe like I haven't been able to breathe in years. And I was thinking about what you said, and I, he's like, so I decided, you know what? Maybe I've got this whole church thing wrong, and I'm, I'm going go to I'm gonna go to church. And I'm going to go to church every week from now on. And Marlene, she doesn't want to go with me, but I'm going to go every week. And I said, well, that's great. He said, so I, I went Sunday. I didn't really understand most of what they were talking about, but you know what? I, w- I was there. And I said, that's so great, Wayne. That's so great. You know, the Lord healed as long as that day. And you know as well as I do that making going to church doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. But he was on a journey, and that was part of his journey. That was a step towards Jesus in his life. You know, we didn't live there for so, super long, but when we left, um, Wayne and Marley, and they got all the, all the people in our whole stretch of uh, townhomes together and threw us a party. Many of these people I'd never met before in my whole life. And they were just so excited and, and just loved us so well. Why? It's not because of me. It's because that moment when Holy Spirit speaks, and I say, Lord, all right, I don't know where this is going. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm willing. And that's what God wants, a willing heart. Amen. Would you stand across this place? First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Every single one of you in this room, God wants to meet you, meet with you. And that person that you walk by every single day, the Lord wants to meet with them as well. And the day we become so inwardly focused here and not concerned with the world around us is the day we better just pack it all up because it'll become a bless me club rather than a hospital for the hurting. Amen? Would you close your eyes across this place just begin to focus your attention on Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that your word says that you are not far away from any one of us you are near. Oh, that we would draw near to you and you would draw near to us, Lord. So we just say yes to that call that you're making right now, which is just simply come. 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 Take us in your arms, Lord. Lift us and give us a higher and heavenly perspective that we're not able to have on our own. Lord, interrupt our lives. Jesus' name. If you're in this place today and you need to give your life to the Lord, maybe you're like I was, you were far away from God. I want to pray for you and I'm going to ask that you raise your hand and I'm not going to do anything weird or call you out or embarrass you. I want to just pray for you. So if you're here this morning and you know you need to get your life right with the Lord, you need to give your heart to Him, would you just put your hand up? I want to pray with you. 
And if you're watching online, uh, there's gonna be a number that comes up at the bottom of the screen. And you can just go ahead and text us at that number and we'll, uh, we'll get in touch with you. Is there anybody in this place? That's okay if there's not. You can put your hand up. Awesome. Let's pray this prayer together. Lord, today I give my heart to you. I give my life to you. Every single part of who I am, I give it to you, Jesus. I forsake the world. I forsake the enemy. And follow only you, Jesus. You are the king of my life, the king of my universe. You sit on the throne of my heart. Right now, I pray that that blood of Jesus would come and cleanse me of all sin, all unrighteousness. I receive that gift of salvation that comes only through the blood of Jesus. Wash me today. Fill me with the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And Lord, for the rest of us, would you open up our eyes to see, open up our ears to hear that we might know you, that we might know your heart for the people around us. And I pray, God, that you'd open up the, our eyes to give, you, to give us eyes to see as you do for the people in our life every single day, that we would be people that are about your business, Lord, focused and conscious of what you're doing, that we'd be dependent on you and full of faith in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.